The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown to zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Nash, and today we're talking with Rachel Revoy. She's from Quinny Waste Solutions in the Bay of Quinny area. That's on the northeastern side of Lake Ontario in Canada. This area is known for its wineries in Prince Edward County and recently a whole bunch of breweries that have opened as well. But something that stuck out with me about this area is its recycling program. I remember being a little girl and seeing the truck come when I was very, very young. It's one of the best programs, actually, that I've ever seen in any of the places I've lived. So today we have Rachel Revoy. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, and that's a great introduction. I have a lot of questions to ask you, and there's been some recent developments in the the news that we've seen lately, and I think we'll get to that a little bit later, but I was wondering if you could tell me, because I don't actually remember when it started when I was a little girl, but recycling has been with me so long because of you guys, basically. You kind of started it all for me, so when did Cooney Waste Solutions start? So it began in 1990. Basically, in that year, there was some legislation that came into place in Ontario that began recycling and blue box as a program and as a system. Quinty Waste Solutions was one of the frontline runners, one of the first municipal waste services. And ever since we've been going strong and I don't think too much has changed since the beginning. It's always been a two stream system and we do our best to service our area. We have 60,000 households. So, so since 1990, Okay, so 60,000 households. I think that's more of a smaller community, like when you compare to New York City or something. How wide is the area? I think you service a few municipalities. Yes, we work with nine municipalities, and some of them are more northern municipalities as well. So 60,000 households is probably a mid-range size. There's places that are much bigger, like Toronto or region of Peel. They service a lot more households, but for us, 60,000 is a good size number, and it's a lot of rural communities involved in that we do have quite a wide scope. We do all of Prince Edward County, which is fairly large in itself. And we do Ty and Denaga, which is uh, Mohawk territory, and it has rural areas as well. But we also do the city of Belleville. So there's a lot of variation, but... That's where I grew up is 30 minutes outside of town, actually, which I always found impressive as well as I sort of moved to other areas in Canada is that that truck would come 30 minutes from town and pick up our containers and our plastic bags and whatever we were using. Does it take a lot of trucks to service 60,000 households? I don't think it is as many as people might think because 60,000 households does sound like a lot, but it's more about the time that it takes for the drivers to service that many households. So we have about... 24 trucks, but not all of them are running every single day. So it depends on which day. Monday is a busier day. And on a Monday, there's usually probably about like 15 trucks on the road. And that means 15 drivers. And each driver will stop on average 900 times a day. So oh my goodness! if you just wrap your head around that a little bit too, to think of every single stop, they get out, they take the blue boxes and because of our system here, it's a two stream system and we like to keep things very separate from the get go. We ask residents to really be a part of the recycling and sorting process. So when the truck driver gets out and gets to the blue boxes on the curb, they're taking the fiber materials and putting it into the section on the truck designated for fibers. They take the cardboard boxes and put it on the back of the truck that's designated for cardboard and they separate out the glass, the glass jars and bottles into a separate compartment so it's not 
getting broken up with the other material. So if you think about doing that 900 times a day, it's a busy job. That's so many times to stop. It's a lot of exercise for those guys out there. Oh my goodness. It's a lot of work, especially in the weather that we have here too. It's very cold and then it gets very hot and so it's quite impressive. And 24 trucks for 60,000 households is very hard to imagine. It's not that many actually. Yeah, and it doesn't sound like that many, but that's more about the frequency that they're on the road and the hours that the truck drivers put in. On average, they do 10-hour days, so it's a tough job, and we very rarely cancel when there's weather unless it's dangerous. And you said that you have a two-stream system, and that was actually one thing that I was wondering about because in Gatineau, we actually don't separate our recycling. It all just goes into one. So when areas separate their recycling, is that important sort of at your stage where you're collecting all the materials to send them out to another place? Yeah, so sorting in two-stream system is really efficient and it keeps taxpayer costs low. So in order to do that, we ask for residents to sort in a two-stream system, which I'll explain what that is a little bit as well. So it means we ask residents to use two blue boxes, one for fiber products, and we ask them to put glass jars and bottles on top and the other ones for containers like aluminum and plastic. The reason we ask for that is because in our material recovery facility, there are basically two tipping floors where the trucks come and distribute that material. And then from there, it's all hand sorted. So we don't have big machines. We don't have the technology that other municipalities have where they're using lasers and all this stuff (laughs) to find out what the material is and shoot it off in different directions. We have people sorting it by hand. So our two-stream system not only is efficient because it keeps taxpayer costs low, it's also efficient because we have lower contamination because when everything goes into one bag, there's a lot more opportunity. It just seems statistically for people to throw things in there and not think as much about what they're doing. And it's a lot easier for that little bit of pop that's at the bottom of a bottle to dump out and contaminate everything that's in there. And when recycled products are contaminated, it's a lot harder to process them. And then the manufacturers who are making new items don't like that and they don't want that product as much, right? Right. So it's all a business. In Victoria, I remember reading that if there was, say, like a Powerade bottle and it had a little bit of liquid at the bottom and the lid was still on, that it would just get thrown in the garbage at the recycling facility because they didn't want to deal with that. So in order for it to be accepted, you actually had to have the lid off and it rinsed and clean. Is that the same with you guys? Yeah, well, it's the best case scenario is that everything's rinsed. Just because at no point in the process is, at least in our facility, is anything being cleaned. We're expecting it to come that way. It just It's just mm-hmm. the nature of the system. I remember when I was a kid I used to think when I thought abstractly about the recycling process I always thought oh you just put the material in a bag or whatever because where I grew up it was just a bag you put the material in a bag and then truck drivers take it away and then everything gets washed and then processed and then made into something shiny and new but it's not like that at all it's very much like our residents have to participate in the way that they have to clean the product and we need that product to be clean before it reaches a facility. I was actually, to be honest, shocked when I read that in Victoria because I thought of all the bottles I had put in when we grew up actually in this area. (laughs) So all of the bottles that our family would have sent you (laughs) would have been clean because my mother would put them on the counter with the dishes to be washed. Even like shampoo bottles from the bathroom. When you were done, you would put water in it and give it a shake and use it for a couple more days and then you would take it out to the counter where my mom would wash it and then it would go into the blue bin, and then it would go to the truck, and then it would go to you guys. So what what happens there? So you said that it was sorted. Is it all by hand? Like you don't even have a magnet to pull out the aluminum? That's the one thing we do have. Um, we do have a big magnet for aluminum, which is really helpful because it can get sharp, and we yeah. don't want 
workers on the sort line to be handling that and it makes it a little bit easier because then it can just quickly be removed from the stream and then it basically gets magnetized and shoots up this big tube and goes into this big container and then it gets condensed into bales like hay bales big bales of material the aluminum the does? aluminum everything oh. does so that's how we we sort things we sort materials so the people on the sort line when they're sorting items by hand they sort it by the type of plastic it is or the type of paper product it is so then once there's enough of one material a front end loader will come and scoop it up and then move it to another conveyor belt and on that conveyor belt it'll go into the baler and then be made into cubes and those big cubes are what goes onto the trucks to be sent to the manufacturer. So our system is just sorting everything one more time in a more narrow way. There's a general sort that residents do. There's a specific sort that our workers on the sort line do. And then it's sent to the manufacturer. And so the manufacturer, who is that? A company that makes new cans? Yeah, so it's whoever is purchasing that bale. We have different manufacturers at different times. It depends on what their needs are. Most of our manufacturers are local, which is really nice. That also brings me to what's been happening in the news because I've been getting questions about the Globe and Mail put out an article this week about China's restriction on accepting contaminated product from overseas. What's been happening is municipal waste services and other recycling services have been sending their extra and excess bales overseas to China to be processed into new material. Mm -hmm. And China's buying it from North American manufacturers. And that has been a great way to sort of get a lot of the product through the system still because we don't always have the manufacturers or buyers to accept all of the material that we create here in Canada. So in some ways, it's been good that they've been able to send this material over to China, but China has put the restrictions on contamination because there has been high levels of contamination. So now they're asking to only have 0.05%, I believe. So when you say contamination, what does that mean like that little bit of Powerade in the bottom of the bottle? Yeah. Like even that counts? Well, essentially, but... There's bigger issues for contamination. That, that is part of contamination. But a big issue is medical waste. Oh. And anything that's contaminated with bodily fluid, that's a really big issue for contamination. No one wants that material. And you, as a consumer, don't want to buy a product that's been remade from that material either. It's been a problem. But of course, the power rate and food contamination does count. It's all contamination. And mold probably can grow on some sort of plastics. Yeah, so it depends on moisture. And mm-hmm. if there's any sort of moisture there, it's going to grow and it's going to get on other products and it's just a downward spiral so China has put restrictions on that but since in our region at Queenie Waste Solutions a lot of our manufacturers are local so we're not really impacted by China's new rules and regulations because we've been sending our stuff locally we aren't as affected but it is a moment for everybody to remember that contamination is a problem and it breaks the cycle of recycling and then it's going to put a lot of pressure on other municipalities who are relying on that let's just send all our garbage to china basically like that's not really a sustainable solution especially now when they're telling us to stop doing that and then where is all that going to go well it's probably going to go to landfill if they can't find buyers so it's really nice to hear that we do it all local Mm -hmm. because we do have a lot of manufacturers in this area and that's really a big solution to this whole zero waste thing is to just keep it local if you can yeah and we're lucky that we can and that's the thing too is that I'm sympathetic to bigger municipalities like places like Toronto. Think of how much recycling 
they're producing. And think of all the manufacturers that are probably overrun with the material that's being sent. And it's great that people are recycling and there is high level of recycled materials. But if there's no manufacturer to purchase it and use it, it's not productive and it's actually not helping the environment much at all. It's just kind of sitting there in their bales. I'm sympathetic. I know that we're lucky that we have local manufacturers, but for the bigger regions, it is going to be an issue. And I think one of the solutions is to try and get residents to work towards lowering their contamination levels. Another solution might be to try and find, maybe try and encourage more local manufacturers to use recycled materials instead of new materials. So you mentioned something about medical waste. So I would think that any hospital or doctor's office, it would just be a very big, hard no (laughs) to put anything that's medical waste into the recycling. So is it just sort of individuals who kind of throw in here or there something? Or do you have to kind of constantly go around to medical places and, and remind them not to recycle these things? It's sometimes hard to know where it's coming from. I'm assuming it's more on the individual basis. If they're having to use these different medical products, if they're using syringes or tubing for IVs, they might just assume it's plastic and might think it can be recycled. It's hard to know. It's really hard to know where it comes from if it just ends up in the stream. Usually it's too late when it's on the sort line if it's accidentally gone through the system to know where it's coming from. Through our promotion and education program, we're trying to sort of send out messages that just say, hey, this stuff should never end up in the blue box. We have people working in our facility. We have truck drivers that want to be safe and we want to keep everybody safe. So stuff like medical waste or anything that's touching you directly, like Kleenexes, people sometimes put Kleenexes or paper towel, all that stuff cannot go in the blue box. I mean, that's the thing that we forget about is that people are there sorting it. We have this mentality of just putting things on the curb no matter what it is and just not worrying about it. Like Mm -hmm. You just put it out there and forget. And I think that's all going to have to change a little bit soon because it's just getting too much. Okay, so one thing that I've noticed about you guys that is sort of better than anywhere else that I've lived. So in Victoria, we couldn't put plastic bags in our curbside recycling. They wouldn't take them. And we couldn't put styrofoam meat trays in there either. And in Gatineau, we can't put styrofoam meat trays. But Quinny Waste Solutions does take all of those things. So tell me why. It's because of our manufacturers. They will take those products and they have a business where they're using those products to make something new. So that means we can accept it. And so what we accept is solely based off of what can be recycled and made into new products in our area. It depends who the buyer is. So we're fortunate in that way. The thing with plastic is it has a life cycle. It can only be recycled so many times. And that is why we don't accept black plastic. The plant containers. I remember that. I remember uh, last year seeing that on your site. And I thought, oh, no, because I think I had put some in there (laughs) because um, I love gardening. Right. And so do a lot of people who are into environmentalism and Mm -hmm. the zero waste movement. And it's tough to get those plants without those little plastic containers. Well, the reason we don't accept black plastic is because when plastic is dyed black, that means it's reached the end of its life cycle. And the quality is no longer there, right? So that's why we can't accept it because it's the way for the manufacturer to indicate, hey, this product is going to be such a low quality that it's not going to make anything new that's going to be of a good quality again. Like that's the end. (laughs) It's the same with styrofoam, black styrofoam. Okay, because meat comes on black styrofoam too. Ah, so okay. So if you are still, you know, eating meat and you have to make that choice, you could, I guess... Choose white. Choose white and at least it's like a little bit better. We always say like a lot of people who are into zero waste say that recycling is just like a, a step up sort of from being the problem. Like it's not a solution in any way. The solution always is always just to like reduce it. If you're buying yogurt, instead of buying like 20 little tiny cups, you could buy like one big plastic container or you could make your own which is actually really really easy and fun or you could buy it in a glass jar at a specialty store or something 
you're right to use a more high-quality plastic container. If you buy a tub of yogurt that comes in a container that is a higher-quality plastic, that'll be easier to recycle. It's better for the environment. Because they are a lot thinner. Like, you can kind of crumple them. Whereas if you get that big yogurt container, like, you don't crumple those. They're pretty... And you can reuse them for a bit. I try to stay away from those plastics because of the BPAs, like for different reasons, but also for the recycling reasons as well. When I went away to school when I was 17, I remember my principal taking a bunch of our cereal boxes and throwing them all in a green garbage bag. My world kind of cracked a little bit, like my view of the world. And I didn't understand. And so I went up and said, where is the recycling? And they said, we don't recycle here. And I don't remember what state it was because it was a long time ago, but It was just a really big shock. Oh, yeah. And you just went to New York as well, right? Oh, that was shocking. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I was there in uh, December, and I had the same feelings because I remember being in a subway, and there was that big container that said, just throw your objects in here, we'll recycle for you. I forget what the wording was exactly. But I was like, that does give me peace of mind because I want to expect that someone's sorting it, but do I believe it? Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know what's actually happening to these products. And when I tried to research it when I was home, I couldn't find anything. Oh, really? Yeah. So there is a bit of greenwashing, too, because I, I worked at a hotel one time way back in the day. And there was a recycling blue bin and a black garbage bin in each hotel room. House staff would take both containers and dump them into like a garbage bag because no one cared, I think, enough to enforce that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think there was, you know, a program to to make sure that they got sorted. So I think that happens more often than we would like it to. And uh, yeah, New York, when you walk around, you can see garbage and plastic bags. It's like containers and stuff that we would normally put in recycling. So that definitely happens. And then uh, you guys also do juice and milk containers. You can recycle those as well. Mm -hmm. So this is really different too, because I don't see that happening too often in other municipalities. I thought it was normal. Yeah, we do accept those items. We accept them as fibers, which I know is a bit different as well because other municipalities will accept them as container products. But so these are like the orange juice containers. How would you describe them? Like, what are they even made of? They're fiber with a wax lining on the inside. Obviously. Oh, so it's wax and not like a BPA lining? Uh, it sometimes is. It's hard because sometimes we also get Tetra Packs as well where there's like more of an aluminum type foil lining. Sometimes mm. there is a plastic lining. Sometimes it's a wax. It all depends on what the product is made of. You can't recycle juice boxes, can you? Yeah, we can. Oh my goodness. I remember learning when I was little that those are very difficult because there's like seven layers or something. Yeah, so we do accept the Tetra Packs. Right at the curbside? Yeah. See, I don't think I know any other municipalities. I'm sure there are some, and especially in Europe. I know Europe has really good recycling programs as well, so I'm sure there are. It's just in my sort of limited experience, I haven't seen anyone that can take back the Tetra Packs, unless sometimes grocery stores will have it in those like special Uh, return areas. So that's sort of something that you don't see very often, which is really cool. Yeah, I was wondering about the juice and milk, if it's lined with wax or if it's lined with BPAs. And I guess there'd be no way of knowing. Yeah, I think it varies on the product. Because wax, I'm sure, would be a little bit more healthier. Way better than BPAs. And if it's recyclable, that's good. Yeah. It's it's hard that we don't always know, too, right? It would be nice if all this was very easy to read right on the container as well. Sometimes it's a gamble. (laughs) Yeah, because if I saw a container that said, you know, no BPAs, it's just lined with wax, then I I would maybe be more inclined. But although we do buy milk in glass bottles and then return them. Oh, great. So there's a store in Belleville called Pasta Tavola on I think Front Street and they still have the glass bottles and you pay like a $2 deposit and when you bring your bottle back you get the $2 back and then it goes back gets filled with milk yeah and you guys would never like really see it can you put broken glass in recycling no because it's dangerous for the workers yeah okay yeah and it gets mixed in with everything right 
and oh, yeah. manufacturer won't be very pleased with that product. Yeah, so we do accept glass. Glass is tricky. It is infinitely recyclable, so it's a great resource. But to recycle it through our facility, it comes with a lot of challenges because glass breaks and it can't go in the baler to be condensed. So it mostly goes into a giant pile and, and we do take it to the manufacturer. It's also really heavy, so the transporting costs. And to move it through the facility comes with the risks of cutting someone or our workers are equipped with gloves. You just want to minimize risk where it's possible. So I do like to encourage residents to take their refundable glass bottles back to the beer store for mm-hmm. their refund. Because that's the most efficient way to recycle that kind of glass. Yeah, and because then it gets used again, they don't even have to crush it. And sometimes you see where the label's been a lot. Bottles look kind of really used. Mm -hmm. And then also, like in Victoria, we used to put any beer bottles that we had, like, out beside the recycling. Mm -hmm. And then people would just take them. We wanted people to take them because then they have a a little bit more income Mm -hmm. for themselves. And I didn't really want to be bothered because I was working so much to to go and take the bottles back. It's not that much money. Mm -hmm. And there is some campaigns through the year. Usually most community groups will do sort of a bottle drive. And Mm -hmm. those are great too because then they'll take it back for you and it's usually going to a good cause. Yeah, like sports teams will do that. Mm -hmm. And that's actually really, really smart as well. So tell me about the coffee cups. Is this true? Because I think I remember reading a while ago that... You guys might be looking for a way. So coffee cups are like sort of the bane of my environmental existence. Mine too. It's a challenge because I would love to say that we could accept them into our program, but the manufacturer doesn't want them. It's not going to be made into something new. So the problem with single-use coffee cups is they have usually a much thicker wax lining on them, and they often have high contamination rates because they're not properly rinsed. People are out with their single-use coffee cup because they're on the run, they're on the move. They're not going to take it to their kitchen sink and wash it out. They usually just toss it into the nearest recycling bin if they see one. But we can't recycle them. And we sometimes have a few that do make it through the system because our truck drivers do see quite a few that do end up in the blue box. And sometimes they do leave a note for the residents saying they can try and articulate that they don't accept them. They can leave them in the blue box as a cue that they don't accept them. But a few do make it through with the system and into our fibers stream, but we really don't want them to because they're really difficult to recycle and our manufacturers don't want them. Are the plastic lids recyclable? Uh, the white ones are, I believe, but most of them are a dark brown or black, and that plastic oh, isn't recyclable. As I yeah. just learned. Yeah. Well, we can think of some perpetrators. <laughs> Not naming names, but... Yeah. Okay, so the white ones you can throw in the recycling bin. Yeah. Is it the same that they can be lined with BPAs on the inside or wax? Like, we don't really know. Yeah, we can speak to that with too much confidence. I'm not sure. And if it's just a lining, like if someone's just put this lining on the inside of the cup and then you pour boiling hot water in it, all those BPAs are just going to go into your coffee. (laughs) Or if you get your kid a hot chocolate. And that's something that I worry about is children getting BPAs because of the endocrine disruption. And so it's just good to stay away from those for quite a few reasons. In an ideal world, I would hope that, you know, someday manufacturers are more cognizant of the products they're using to make their single-use cups and it would be nice if they also purchased them back in a way to recycle them and reuse the product but we're kind of in the situation where manufacturers are producing all this material and it's just a single process it's not cyclical at all just a line where they put out all this material it's going out into the world and there's no repercussions there's no no ownership there's no ownership no responsibility they're just like well not my problem and out it goes yeah so it's tricky yeah if they could just maybe buy it back and then use that material again right they could make new cups and keep going but I think at that point which we've talked about in other podcasts is that some regulation might have to come in eventually Mm -hmm. 
and just say, hey, you guys got to remember that they still exist. Like once they leave yeah. your, your coffee store, they don't go away. They just go away from you and they're creating these other problems. Yeah. So on a positive note, I have seen some local coffee shops in our area use cups that can be compostable. Oh, really? So they are, are going to decompose over time, which is really cool. Um, awesome. So it's kind of a part of the solution. I know the Grind Cafe does that in Trenton. I'm happy to say their name because I think they're doing something great for the environment. What I recommend is for residents to remember to use their travel mugs. And that way they can, as best as they can, I know it's hard, but if people can remember to bring their travel mugs with them, that's the best way to avoid coffee cups and still get your coffee in the morning. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. I've been doing that for a very long time, and what got me started on it 12 years ago or so is my university that had a little coffee shop in the student union building, and you could get any coffee there for a dollar if you brought your own cup. And if not, it was like 280 or something for an Americano or like a fancier coffee. And so I was like, I'm just going to bring mine every day. And then once you get the behavior started, it's very easy. I don't really ever forget my coffee cup. It does take a long time to get into that habit. Yeah. So it really has to be like incentivized, I think. I was mm -hmm. thinking the other day that it'd be cool if Tim Hortons had a machine where you could go and tap your credit card and then put your reusable <laughs> mug under and let it pour into your mug. And then one, you wouldn't have to wait in line. And two, if you just didn't have a stack of paper cups there, it would just be for those Ooh. people. Because then it's like... Your incentive is you don't have to wait in line. And it could be, you know, they could take the cost of whatever it is per cup off as well for more incentive. Yeah, yeah, a little bit cheaper. I think some companies do that. And, you know, the other good thing about Tim Hortons that I do like that I will say is a good thing is they will fill up my coffee cup every time. And they're good about that because I've been through some McDonald's drive throughs where they just won't. They won't take it. Yeah. And there's an issue with, again, like you're talking about contaminants, right? And so is it really sanitary to be bringing in these used cups? And my worry is, too, if going through the drive through just thinking of how quickly they have to move through the drive through I wonder if they're already putting it into the paper cup and then you say, oh, here's my reusable mug, and then they just dump <laughs> it in and they're still using a cup. So They do that all the time. Uh, I see that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. There was a petition, actually, that went around a while ago to ask Tim Hortons to stop doing that <laughs> because they, wanna, they need to measure it, right? And this is tough because people just don't know, and it's not their fault. And it's not and the fault of the workers. It really comes down to individuals, but then it comes down to the education, too, which I think you guys are really good at as well because you have a presence on Facebook and, I think, Instagram, right? Yeah, and Twitter. Yeah. So our handle is at Queenie Recycles. On Twitter and Instagram, it's Queenie Recycles. And then Facebook is Quinty Waste Solutions. I always see different reminders like, you know, don't put this in there, don't put that. Or that's how I learned about those black plant containers. Mm -hmm. I heard something really gross that you guys got in the recycling facility. In November, I did make a post on Facebook that described the find of the day, which was a dead pig in the recycling. So that does happen. I remember that post and I just couldn't believe that someone would do that. We ask residents not to use plastic bags to put their recycling into plastic bags. We like them to just for items to just be put in the blue box directly because when things are thrown into a plastic bag it's easier for items to get hidden mm -hmm. and then we don't know what we're accepting at the curb. So one way that we have found that has made it easier is that we have some rules that the recycling truck driver, if they see certain items, they can't pick up the recycling. If there's medical waste visible, they're not supposed to touch it because that's just a health and safety concern, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one way that we minimize that. And it's unfortunate that this happened and it's unfortunate that it, it made it into the system because we have one person whose job it is at the material recovery facility to open up bags. 
So when things do come in bags, it's realistic for people who produce a lot of cans. Like if someone has a big family and they have a lot of pop drinkers in their house, if they have a lot of cans, it makes sense to put all the cans into one recycling bag. And then it is picked up on curb. But one person's job is to open up these bags and rip them open and then put the material where it needs to go. So that person is the person who ripped it open and then there was a dead pig. There's a lot of people who use bags properly, but... We try and encourage residents to just put their materials into the blue box so then we can see what's happening and what's, mm-hmm. what's going into the system. So have you noticed that there's any certain product that's been increasing sort of in the last little while? Water bottles or maybe fruit containers? Yeah, so there has been a influx of cardboard boxes, which totally makes sense when you think of the rise of online shopping automating things like people buy their groceries online and all that stuff is coming in cardboard boxes and the holidays just passed so we do have a lot of cardboard coming into the facility which happens every year there's always an influx and of course with wrapping paper as well because we do accept just regular wrapping paper so those are the items that we see a lot of this time of year and then I think in the summer there's probably an equal sort of influx of things like cans if people are drinking more pop or canned items in the summer. Yeah, it makes sense. People would be out like at barbecues and sort of more social. And this time of year, there's mostly just an influx in all materials. It just seems that this time of year is when people are eating more, they're um, <laughs> spending more time and more money on buying material goods. So uh, that equates to more recycled products. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that maybe you would have noticed an increase in like plastic containers for fruit because I'm finding at grocery stores it's more and more difficult all the time to find like a tomato that's not in a plastic really? container or mushrooms used to always be in bulk open and then you could just get a brown bag, mm-hmm. pick them and put them in. But now I notice that they're all going into plastic containers and then wrapped in the saran wrap. And with a cardboard influx, like you guys are ready for that and you can handle it. As long as residents can bundle that cardboard and put it next to their recycling, we do have a few issues where boxes aren't condensed on the curb. Mm-hmm. And as I was saying earlier, when the truck driver stops 900 times a day, it's just really unreasonable to have to condense those boxes because that does take a minute. Right, mm-hmm. to condense a box and then put it into the truck. But I mean, this is our responsibility. Like, if we're going to buy this trash, we have to take care of it at its end of life. There's so many <laughs> details, too, right? There's so many little things and little parts, and so many objects have all these different materials within it. Like, when you talk about juice boxes, like, there's so many things in a juice box. There's fiber, there's aluminum lining, there's even the straws, but they're not recyclable. Straws aren't recyclable. None. They're terrible for the environment. There's a hashtag stop sucking. Have you ever seen that one? (laughs) It's with Adrian Grenier and he started this huge campaign to just get restaurants and businesses to stop selling them because they're so unnecessary unless you have a medical condition so I think in a perfect world you'd maybe have some metal ones on hand in case someone needs one at your restaurant but yeah you're right they're totally terrible and they're bad and they're one of those things that you can cut out of your life almost on like a daily or weekly basis depending on like how much you eat out it's the behavior thing again it's just like the coffee cup so if you just remember I can remember now so whenever I sit down at a restaurant I will order water and say no straws please But at first, you just get them all the time because you don't remember or you'll ask and then the waitress won't remember. Yeah, and I really want to understand and be sympathetic because I know a lot of these issues, even though we have a responsibility as individuals, it's not going to be an immediate overnight change and not everybody's going to see it right away. I'm going to... I've taken it upon myself to not be harsh on the people in my life. It's so important. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be really understanding. And when you know so much about it and then you see diapers piling up or something and You can't just tell everybody to change, but we can work toward it, you know, in other ways and and start with ourselves, I think, is like the important part. Yeah. 
It was really nice at Christmas. My family knows that I'm working towards being zero waste. Like you are at least minimizing it where I can. It's a big transition, but I've been just talking about it with my family. And then at Christmas, my siblings wrapped all my gifts in newspaper because it's easier to recycle than wrapping paper. Aww. It's such a nice feeling when people are like, oh, I, I understand why you're doing this and I support it. And Aww. even if it's in those little ways. So, I, so think, nice. I think that's a better way to go about it with just like subtle education, be positive about it. And eventually, I think people will come around. Mm -hmm. You were saying about the straws, but uh, forks aren't recyclable either. And that's a big one, too, because restaurants just put them in the bag, right, when you order food? Mm -hmm. So I'll try and uh, paint a picture for the listeners, because at our material recovery facility, one of the first steps is as materials are going up onto this conveyor belt to be hand sorted, the first stop is small materials will fall through and go into this big pile. And that pile consists of straws, forks, knives, lollipop sticks, little tiny candy wrappers, like chocolate bar wrappers, those can't be recycled, little chip bags. So there's an entire little mountain in our facility of these materials. So people, they might blindly put them in or not think, or they might not know that they're not recyclable, but those things do end up in the garbage. We do have some items that do end up in the landfill. People put them in the blue box and in most cases, we like our truck drivers to leave notes and stickers. I think from a carbon footprint standpoint as well, it would be more detrimental to have the truck keep stopping to write all these little notes because then you're burning more diesel and it's wasting the workers' times and then you might not get around to picking up all of them and it's better if everybody can sort how they're supposed to. But yeah. I find every time I talk about recycling with someone, I learn something new. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. So do you, do you guys have any like future projects on the go or is there something you're working towards? Yeah, so from a promotion and education standpoint, I can speak to that easily because that's my job. I'm going to be working towards finding ways to communicate with the public and guide them in a direction that reminds them that we can't recycle single-use paper cups and sort of do some work to encourage residents to use reusable mugs. That's really good. Like that's such a huge thing right there if you can just get the cup used down. Yeah, and... You know, I'm not trying to stop it from happening. I just want to give residents some tools to make it easier in their life and give them tips. One thing that I've started doing is trying. <laughs> it takes a while for these things, but to bring like a fork, spoon, and knife in a little yeah. pouch with a metal straw. We move around a lot and we're very busy, so sometimes we might stop in for fast food like every once in a yeah. while. And if you have your own straw, then you don't even need the lid. Or if you have like a coffee mug, then you've got that. So you can kind of still keep your restaurants that you want but limit the amount of landfill you're using if you just sort of have these little things that you carry around with you every day. Yeah what I really love about my job too is going to schools and I do presentations at schools to sort of teach kids about the recycling process and what happens in our community and show them all the big recycling trucks and just sort of encourage them to think about the process. A really great part of those conversations is usually the kids will start talking about things they do to have like litterless lunches or they have a day a week where everyone tries to pack a lunch that doesn't have any waste. So that's really nice because then they have really good ideas too about ways they can um, get around the granola bar wrappers, which is a big issue. And they think of different ways that they can get their parents on board to uh, use reusable containers and, mm -hmm. and make more things at home. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's, it's really nice. I really appreciate the kids in the next generation because I feel like they're, they're raised in a world that is so much more aware about environmental process and they're excited about it and they're knowledgeable and it, it really just makes me feel like things are going in a great direction. Even if we can't get everybody on board, I think the younger generations are going to really make a difference because they care and they see the impact and they're living in the impact and they 
really do believe that the things they do and the actions they take are going to make a change. Absolutely. So it's always so fulfilling. And that's the generation that's going to change everything, you know. It's always the younger people that sort of bring about the change. So it's really important to go to schools. And sometimes schools actually create a lot of waste, which surprises me a little bit. So mm-hmm. it's really good to be there speaking. And I think that'll probably help the teachers too a yeah. little bit to like set a good example or like pick up that granola bar on the school playground, yeah. you know, to keep it clean for everyone. And a lot of times they have their own questions, like they don't know that straws aren't recyclable. So it's, it's good to also just kind of look at their blue boxes and see how they're doing the process mm-hmm. and then sort of remind them that pushing the plastic straw into the juice box doesn't make the straw disappear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they say, well, can't you just push it in? <laughs> That's probably really fun for kids. So that'd be a yeah, hard behavioral yeah, change to make. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the juice boxes are difficult. I find like baking cookies in your home is like a really nice way to have that dessert aspect to get rid of the granola bars and the packages. So we're always just trying to bake things and which send is those. great because then you know what's in it too. You know the ingredients, and then you can sort of not put in things that other students might have allergic reactions to. It's just it's nice all around, and yeah. I mean it usually tastes better too. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, sometimes candy tastes pretty good. I did go to a school following Halloween and I remember I was telling the kids hey just so you know candy wrappers and chip bags aren't recyclable some jaws dropped and they were like what like there's so many candy wrappers what are we gonna do so then I remind kids I'm like well tell your parents that you can go to the bulk barn bring your own container and then fill it and then you have the candy still I'm not here to tell you not to eat candy because then I'd be a hypocrite but it's really great that in the bulk barns in Belleville and Trenton they have the program where you can bring your containers and then fill it everywhere Everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. I love it. It's great. Yeah. (laughs) It feels so good to not have any garbage. So good. Yeah. And what I've been telling people, too, that have come through the material recovery facility, because I do tours at our Trenton location, what I tell people is when I'm talking about glass and the issues that come with recycling glass, I remind people that when you have spaghetti sauce, it's going to come in a glass jar. It's really hard to avoid. And of course, a lot of people, they don't have the time to make their own pasta sauce. So things like spaghetti sauce that come in the glass jars, once you're done using that, rinse it out, use it three or four times as a container at the bulk barn, Mm -hmm. right? Because then you're getting more use out of it. You're reducing the waste of the garbage that would come with whatever products you would have bought otherwise, not at the bulk barn. And then you're getting more use out of the glass. Absolutely. And then eventually you can recycle it because it would be hard to keep every single glass jar that we use. Yeah, my cupboards are full of them. Yeah, me too. (laughs) With the glass jars, I would recommend getting the widest mouths possible because when you're at the bulk barn and you're standing there trying to put like icing sugar or something into the jar, it'll make a bit of a mess. But the wide ones are really good and actually containers work really well. I just started taking regular containers because then I don't have to take the oversized scoop and try to get it into my little (laughs) jar. We're working it out, I think. It'll it'll work out in the end. But yeah, that's interesting because I always just thought that glass was the answer and that if I was going to buy anything, it should be in glass. But there are challenges. There are challenges. Other plastic items, we do get bleach containers and stuff. Oh, that's not good. Or like oil or something. Like I'm sure those get in there every once in a while. It's always a separate stream. Like things that are used for chemicals, they don't get remade into food plastic products. Mm -hmm. So there's different streams, different types of plastic. So there's certain numbers of plastic that we do accept. So the ones we accept are in number one, number two, number four, number five, or number six. So you can check for that. And if people are being really keen, they can even look for that when they're buying items. It's all worth it. I know why I do these things and I really like to be confident that when I'm educating people on the recycling process and how we can be even better 
environmental citizens that I'm doing my part as well. That way when people say, well, how can we avoid this or how can we do that? I have lists of my own practical experience to pull from and just say, well, this is how I do it. I'm new to the area as well, so I've been learning about all this process from the eyes of a resident too and what they might see and the changes they have to make to their recycling system in order to get things on curb and get things collected. So in Belleville, where I live now, there has been some mornings where the pickup is on Tuesday and I look up and down the street and there's the blue boxes, there's one for containers and one for fibers, and there's cardboard and there's a compost bin, but there's sometimes not even plastic garbage bags at all on the streets. And I just think it's amazing that we have these resources in our area and that we're working together to make our environment cleaner. And it's just so nice to see the things helping and making a difference. And when I look up and down the street on a Tuesday morning and I'm trying to get to work and I see that people are making their effort and there's less garbage, it totally makes sense why we do this. Our residents, since they have been recycling a certain way for a while, they are proud of what they do and they should be. Absolutely. I will speak to our rates a little bit because we should be proud in the area. And when I'm talking to residents, I don't always boast, but I think it's very evident from our low contamination rates and our high diversion rates comparatively to other municipalities in our area. It's evident that like people, they care about what they're doing and they're taking their time to recycle properly and recycle things that are going to make it through the system and make it on to be made into a new product. Mm-hmm. So I, I do see it, especially when I go up and down the street too, and I see the way people are putting out everything with care and they're leaving snacks for their truck driver and they really yeah yeah Yeah. that's why I will continue to do tours at our facility and anyone's welcome to book a tour you can head to the website quinnyrecycling.org to find out how to book a tour I think when people see that process it clicks like this is why we sort this is why we put things in the two blue boxes Mm -hmm. and you have such an efficient system and it's working and it's here so if anybody's interested in coming to check it out or if anyone from another city is wondering how to make their facility better or their programs better, it seems like Quinny Way Solutions is probably a really good one to check out. Thanks, yeah. And look into. Yeah, we do have on our website as well a sort of virtual tour with gifts, but that way you can see step-by-step what's happening if people are outside of the area and they still want to know what's going on. My last episode was on Fairchild. So in Halifax, there is a woman who uses New Life yarn. So it's all made from pet bottles. They take pet bottles and turn them Ah. into little pellets and then spin them into yarn and then send them to Hong Kong and put them into like fabric. Like they weave it into a fabric and then it comes back to Halifax she makes raincoats out of them and then she can recycle them because it's a pet material they just have to take off like the snaps do you think that there's any potential for a closed loop system starting in Belleville where if someone produced a sort of clothing line or maybe like a shoe line or something from that new life yarn that maybe Quinny Waste Solutions would have the facilities to recycle something like a pet material in yeah. the future so yeah, if there's someone who comes forward and they have these ideas, of course it's encouraged, especially with the more difficult to recycle things, the things that are a bit more hard to process or even out there. So for people starting up those closed loop systems, I'd recommend to look at things that maybe even aren't accepted in the Blue Box program, but things that everyone produces, but they don't really know what to do with. But that's why there's companies like TerraCycle that do really cool things where they accept <laughs> so many outlandish things like bubblegum or toothbrushes. It's awesome to see when there's a market for it, you can recycle just about anything. If you use Quinny Waste Solutions as part of the piece of that puzzle with composting, with supporting local business, with, like you said, getting your milk filled in glass bottles, all that, like it's all part of the process. I think it's really nice in this area, just having moved here, and I know you're moving back, but you grew up in the area. I think there is a lot of opportunity, even though Belleville's a city and 
cities sometimes have this characteristic of just producing a lot of waste but not managing it well. I don't see that so much here. I think there's a really good environment of caring for the environment and maybe that's partly to do with all the beautiful scenery that's around. I'm really proud of Quinty. That's what I'll leave it on. I'm really proud of the residents and the care they put into it and I'm excited to meet more residents and come up with more ideas on how we can be better. And I'm even more impressed after talking to you. Like I said, I came here being so happy with, you know, you guys being the company that taught me how to recycle as a little girl. And now I'm here and I'm 33 and I'm <laughs> I'm still being impressed by everything oh that you guys are doing. <laughs> I'm so I'm really happy. Right. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. This week on my Countdown to Zero Waste, I wrote my first activism letter to a beautiful wilderness lodge in remote British Columbia that I've admired in person and through Instagram for a very long time. They posted a high-quality photo of a drink in front of their oceanside view. It was beautiful, but it had a straw in it. So I wrote a sweet, caring message to the lodge that showed my appreciation for their business, their location, their Instagram posts, and then added a few facts about the uselessness of straws, unless they're used for a medical condition, of course. I also included some links that exemplify the harm that straws are doing to our marine life and to our oceans. I asked them to consider taking part in the hashtag stop sucking challenge by eliminating straws from their drinks. My fingers are crossed that I will get a positive response. This week's episode was recorded in the 91 XFM studios at Loyalist College in Belleville, Ontario. If you like our show, you can follow me on Instagram at Zero Waste Countdown. That's zero underscore waste underscore countdown. And if you have any questions or ideas for the show, you can email me, laura at zerowastecountdown.com. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.